This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Todd Willits, and I'm joined by EPFR's economist, Cameron Brandt. We'll walk you through what our teams were monitoring last week in the data EPFR tracks, as well as what we'll look for in the upcoming week. Cam, good morning. I know you got out and were able to do some fishing last week. How did it go? Uh, it went very well. The, uh, the only uh, asterisk to attach was that uh, we were fog-bound all day, so it was a little like fishing in a sensory deprivation chamber, but uh, it didn't affect the fish's willingness to bite. So Good. I, the, one of your historic hauls or, or moderate at best? Oh, I'm somewhere between moderate and historic. Uh, there was a decent number of good fish caught and good eating fish. So Great. Uh, so let's jump in with probably what most people were focused on last week uh, in the EPFR data, the reaction to the newest inflation figures. Um, I'll start with a, a, a basic question and you can expand. Is it still transitory? Well, there's still enough people who think it is transitory that um, the, the pattern in the flows we've been seeing for a while didn't go completely pear-shaped. Uh, but no, there was no doubt that last week it was a case of, of two of the many narratives that we've been tracking this year, the, the two that investors probably are most keen to see go away. Uh, asserted themselves uh, to varying degrees, the first being the uh, the U.S. inflation, rising U.S. inflation uh, narrative, and then the uh, COVID pandemic, um, which is uh, making something of a comeback on the back of the Delta variant uh, and, and concerns that there may be some other uh, variants waiting in the wings. So let's go asset class by asset class. Um, Did we see any particular reaction in equity flows that we track? We didn't. Um, Certainly, uh, what we did see in the equity uh, overall flows, which were generally pretty robust, uh, was that the retail investors pulled back. they tend uh, retail investors tend to react more quickly to headline narratives and and and, and things that uh, buck the consensus. So uh, what struck certainly struck me last week was that uh, while overall flows to most of the groups were were, were fair to good, um, retail investors who've been you know as we've talked about before much more active this year definitely uh, took a step back. Um, U.S. equity funds experienced their heaviest uh, redemptions by retail investors since early December, and it was early November uh, for global equity funds, which have otherwise been something of a darling for the retail uh, side of things. Could it be some profit taking? It could, um, and, and certainly, you know, for for the U.S. and Europe equity funds that we track. Uh, the steady grind of uh, people approaching retirement age, selling into uh, a market bump, uh, and moving their nest eggs to something a little less volatile, uh, you know, is a recurring background theme. 
but you know, a, certainly in the U.S., you would have had to time it uh, properly. It was it was a little bumpy during the week. So uh, I think it was more institutional investors uh, thinking that the U.S. recovery um, will run ahead of the recent growth fears. So let's talk about bond funds. I assume we probably saw a bit of a reaction uh, in in that asset class to this inflation narrative. Yes, we we saw a much more definitive response there. Um, We saw, uh, uh, let's see, U.S. bond funds had their smallest weekly inflow in about four months. Uh, Global bond funds, which... Uh, on average, allocate over 40% of their portfolio to the U.S. They recorded their biggest outflow uh, in 18 weeks. Um, And interestingly, uh, counterbalancing that was uh, a record inflow for Europe bond funds, um, which I think certainly owes something to the perception that uh, the European Central Bank is the most reliably dovish uh, of the outside of the Bank of Japan, uh, of the world's major central banks at the moment. So going global, let's talk about China for a minute. It seemed like last week maybe they got back that fund group got back to attracting assets. Uh, is there something in particular with the the conditions on the ground that you think are influencing investor sentiment? Yes, um, the China fund groups that we track uh, had been sort of losing momentum for a, a number of reasons. Some of them specific, China tech funds have struggled with the much uh, uh, harsher regulatory environment that uh, major Chinese plays are, are operating in now. Uh, but there was also sort of a, a broader backdrop uh, of, of cautious tightening by Chinese authorities. Um, certainly not an unreasonable thing to do given the you know, recovery of the China's economy ahead of the other uh, major uh, global economies um, and some of the asset bubble pressures that have been building up. Um, but as we know from 2013-2014, once uh, markets get used to this stimulus, uh, they tend to react uh, fairly sourly to any sign that's being taken away. Um, but this past week, uh, the, the uh, authorities did sort of reel back on uh, domestic bank lending. Uh, they reduced uh, the uh, reserve requirements uh, by a modest amount, but that frees up sort of over $100 billion, uh, in capital that's now available uh, for lending. Um, and that combined with some slightly better macroeconomic numbers uh, for the second quarter um, you know, gave investors reason to think that uh, <coughs> once again, uh, China is going to do better than any worst case scenario they might have been penciling in. It does seem interesting that in a, a week where we saw a reaction to a newly listed New York Stock Exchange uh, uh, Chinese company, 
that we would see this increasing interest. But do you think that in the case of uh, a company like DD, that it's it's isolated enough and it's it's not representative of the broad narrative? I think that's certainly the uh, conclusion that uh, mutual fund investors have reached for the moment, that what is going on in tech is uh, sector-specific and that um, while <laughs> uh, you know, it's perhaps being done with a heavier hand than in Europe and the US, it's not uh, incompatible with what regulators in, in the US and Europe are trying to achieve uh, in terms of uh, clipping the wings of, of, of tech majors. Um, so uh, even though there have been some uh, you know, fairly dramatic developments with individual China tech companies, um, I don't think investors see those as you know such a radical departure from what's going on in their home markets. So let's talk about sector funds a little bit. Uh, it feels a lot like 2020. When I look at the funds that are getting uh, interest, are we are we uh, Going back to the future a little bit here, <laughs> yeah. or what's the what are you seeing play out amongst tech, healthcare, and energy? Well, that was certainly my reaction, and there definitely was a whiff of uh, second quarter of last year about uh, the the sector fund flows this week. Um, you know, I, I think what they they did mirror was uh, a concern that. Uh, Reports of the pandemic's death have been greatly exaggerated, uh, that it is still very much with us, uh, and uh, the waves uh, are going to, uh, more waves are going to pass through before we finally reach sort of an equilibrium uh, with this virus. Uh, and given that, uh, I think uh, investors are penciling in further iterations uh, of the work, shop, and entertain yourself from home dynamic that really boosted tech funds last year. Um, and obviously, uh, there's going to be demand for further uh, vaccine variants uh, and antiviral drugs um, that uh, you know, are worth pricing into uh, at least some of the healthcare funds. So, what are you and the team going to be looking at in the upcoming week? So, um, we are working on the things that we have been uh, studying uh, for a little bit now. Uh, we continue to see strong interest for multi-asset exposure um, and. Uh, that has also started to, as is the case in many areas, take on a bit of a SRI ESG dimension. So we've been we've been looking at uh, how SRI fund flows uh, affect asset rotations uh, and the balances is balancing uh, of different asset classes in multi-asset fund portfolios. Um, and uh, then we're sort of doing a, f a fair amount of uh, sort of spot spot stuff uh, uh, because, as as I said in the beginning, <laughs> there are so many narratives floating around that we are getting a lot of 
inquiries from different uh, different people who have greater or lesser faith in various narratives and uh, want us to uh, stress test them. Great. It sounds like an exciting week. It'll keep us busy. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk next week. Thanks, Cam. Good. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the EPFR Exchange podcast. For more information or to suggest a topic for a future podcast, please visit epfr.com slash podcast.